Welcome to the Houston Mayoral Symposium, a joint production between the Houston Hispanic Chamber of Commerce and Intercom Radio Houston. I'm Sarah Frazier, Market Manager for Intercom Houston, and I'm here today with Dr. Laura Murillo, President and CEO of the Houston Hispanic Chamber Thank of you. Commerce, and Mayor Sylvester Thank Turner, you for the me. incumbent in the mayoral runoff election to take place on December 14th. Thank you both for being here. Thanks for having Thank me. Well, first of all, Sarah, thank you for hosting us here yet again. And we always start off by saying that the chamber does not endorse candidates. We're out here saying, get out and vote, get out and vote. And we support the winner. We have been working with you. Thank, thank you God. so much, Mayor Turner, over the years. It's been a great partnership. There's still so much more to yes. do. People want to know, you know, one of the obvious things and, and uh, that is on folks' mind is, of course, the financial you know, situation with the city. Yes. And I'm sure you've got, you know, some great <laughs> ideas. But again, welcome and thanks for being here. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, I would tell you, the city has come a long ways. When I came into office four years ago, uh, the city was facing its largest budgetary deficit, $160 million. Five months later, uh, we balanced the books uh, without laying off one single employee. When I came into office four months ago, the city was facing the largest pension debt uh, in its history, $8.2 billion. Uh, costing the city a million dollars a day, and all three credit rating agencies had given had gone thumbs down. Four years later, as we sit here, uh, that 8.2 billion has been cut in half to 4.03. Mm -hmm. The million dollars is no more. All three credit rating agencies have given us a thumbs up, and Bloomberg and Associates cites the city of Houston as a model across the country on how to deal with pension challenges. Mm -hmm. The unemployment in the city of Houston is the lowest um, in June, July, since 1981. More people are working in the city than ever before. So from a financial point of view, uh, the city is in much, much better shape than it was four years ago. Yeah, great. Thank you. During Hurricane Harvey, yes. several of us actually slept in this room right here, keeping everyone informed, um, helping to evacuate people. You and came on you. the air with us several times. I remember. I, I appreciate that very sure. much. Um, it's one of the hardest things that I've ever done, and, and I'm sure you as well. Yes. Um, during the State of the City in May, you said that HUD still hadn't released the finances or all of the funds to do much of what you felt needed to be done yes. to fix all of the issues. Where do we stand now, and what do you want to do moving forward? We're making progress. It's going to be this, the recovery from Harvey, just like in any major natural disaster, will take years. It's not done in one or two years takes years. But I will tell you three of the four cities' top major infrastructure projects have now been approved by the federal government, by FEMA, and fully funded. So for example, the 10 spillway gates in Kingwood, a $49 million project. More homes were flooded in Kingwood from water being released from Lake Conroe uh, than water falling from the sky. That project has been approved. That's their number one project. In uh, the Inwood Forest, Northwest Houston, we're taking that golf course, 229 acres, turning it into the largest detention basin. Uh, it will hold more water than the Astrodome. That's a $49 million project. That's been approved, fully funded. Uh, the North Canal project that's been talked about in this city since the 1940s is finally going to get done. It represents the largest stormwater project in the state of Texas. It's $131 million. It is where Buffalo, Bayou, and White Oaks converge. It will take the lower portion of downtown, the theater district, out of the floodplain, benefit the Heights area, North Main. That's a major, major project. That one has been fully, uh, has been approved and fully funded. The fourth major project is in uh, West Houston. 
Uh, that's like a 60 million project involving TERS 17. That's on the drawing board and I anticipate that one being done. Uh, in the Westbury community, for example, the city has purchased the old Shell Research Facility uh, that will provide 13 to 15 acres of additional detention at Willow Waterhole. That's their number one project in the area, and we're moving forward on that. We have increased the number of stormwater projects in every city council member's districts. Three to five years from now, I suspect when you look back at the city of Houston, you will see a city that's much more resilient, much more sustainable, can withstand heavy uh, rainfalls than the city that exists today. Now, we're still waiting for the $4.3 billion in infrastructure dollars from HUD. That was approved by the, by the feds some 18 months ago. It's still waiting on the state's correct uh, uh, action plan. And so those dollars are not going to be available until sometimes next year. Those are the HUD infrastructure dollars. Okay. So we're still waiting, you know, but in the meantime, we're working with the $2.5 billion that the, that the Harris County voters approved mm -hmm. um, a year ago. Right. Leveraging that with what we call Rebuild Houston. I call it Build It Forward dollars. Okay. So we're moving forward on a number of projects, but I am pleased to say that three of the four top major infrastructure projects have been approved and are now fully funded and those projects are slated to be constructed and built within the next three years. So a follow-up to that, sure. the county, <laughs> Harris County, there seems to be a lot more interaction uh, with Judge Emmett at the time and now with Judge Hidalgo, yes. certainly necessary and crucial. Talk to yeah. us about that and the difference that it's making or has made in securing these funds. Quite frankly, it makes a huge difference because flooding is, doesn't stop at the city of Houston boundary. Uh, neither really does it stop at Harris County's boundaries. It's a regional sort of issue, and it requires a great deal of collaboration and cooperation between multiple uh, governments. And so the relationship between Harris County and the city is, I would tell you, at an all-time high. Uh, it's been a joy and a delight to work with Judge Alina Hidalgo and her team, and uh, the city and the county are working very well together. They are moving forward with those 239 projects that will be funded by that $2.5 billion. And then we are leveraging what they are doing with the city's resources and making sure that the needs of the people in Harris County yes. and Houston fits directly in Harris County, that those needs are being met. I had a very good relationship with Judge Ed Emmett. I have a very, very good relationship now with Judge Hidalgo. And I think people, people are the ones who benefit because mm -hmm. when the different government, uh, governmental units are working well together, the people themselves have benefit. Things are getting done, projects are getting completed, and then we're leveraging dollars from both units for the benefit of the people that, that live in our respective communities. Okay, I'm gonna switch <laughs> topics a little okay. here. Um, as a radio broadcaster, I love mm. people in their cars. They have okay. a lot of time to listen to the radio. All right. However, as you know, and I think you quoted it in the Kinder study, traffic was the number one concern. Uh, back in the state of the city in May, you talked about yes. the metro vote, yes. and you felt you needed to get that done to get yes. more multimodal, yes. is I think the word you used. Yes. Are, is that still the plan? That is, that is still the plan. Between now and 2040, we're expecting about 4 million people to move into the region. You have to be able to get people from point A to point B. We are, we are entrepreneurs, we're business owners, people who are working. Uh, product, the loss of productivity, cost. It costs in terms of getting the work done, um, and you're not, you're not making good use of your time. 
And so uh, you can't just build and design the city for yesterday. You have to design and build a city for the, for the, for the, for the future. And, and so what's required now is a paradigm shift, multimodal forms of transportation. Uh, people want to be able to get on light rail, a bus rapid transit, or even like commuter rail, uh, utilize high covered bike lanes. And quite frankly, for many millennials and others, they want a more walkable, pedestrian friendly city, a, a, a city where communities are connected. Uh, and that's what we're working on. I, I support it uh, quite a, uh, very strongly, the Metro Next proposal. Out of the two candidates that rem wasn't remaining, I'm the only one of the two that supported the Metro Next proposal uh, because it provides all of those different components that are needed. And quite frankly, for senior citizens and people with disabilities, sidewalks, very, very important, yeah. okay? Because they need to get from point A to point B. And a part of the Metro Next is providing additional dollars for the construction or the, and, or the repairing of sidewalks as well. So all of those different components are needed. And quite frankly, when you're an international global city, when people are coming or businesses are expanding, they want to be able to get to point A to point B. And they want to be able to have access to the same sort of transit mobility system that existed in the countries that they come from. Mm -hmm. And so we have to come current. And we have to build and design a transit system uh, for the future, not for yesterday. And as much as I love my car and much as I love my truck, uh, we have to find ways of getting people out of their cars, out of their trucks, uh, and into a system where transit is going faster than your car or your truck. So on transit, your opponent <clears throat> says, let's make it free. What's your response to that? Well, you can't make it free. I mean, uh, there are some times when you make it available, when people are going and voting, you make it available and you make it free, things of that nature. There may be some times where there are very special events where it, it benefits everyone to make it, to make it free. But uh, there's, there are very few things that are free these days if you want to build and design a system that works. The bond proposal that just was passed was a $3.5 billion bond proposal. When it's all said and done, it's about a $7 billion package. But you have to pay for those bonds. Yes. Well, the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce certainly supported that. Yeah. Speaking of bonds, we've supported the Port of Houston. Yes. HISD's bond, speaking of which, I know while the mayor's office doesn't necessarily have the control over HISD, as you mentioned, yes. we're trying to recruit businesses. Yes. It is a very hot topic it in, is. in this city. Uh, we are working with HISD, with TEA, yes. entrepreneurs, others to try to resolve this. If you could wave a wand, you know, what would you do to elevate HISD and the current situation we're under? Because the governor said he's going to put forth the board of managers. So, right. So what is the outcome that you would wish for? Number one, let me start off by thanking the Hispanic Chamber uh, because you all have been very, very involved uh, and instrumental in the whole educational system and creating an environment that attracts businesses and getting businesses to expand. So let me thank you. I've always said that you can't have a dynamic city moving in one direction and your educational system moving in another. They both have to be moving in the same direction to maximize the potential. That's why when I came into office four years ago, I started the Office of Education within the city of Houston. Jude Estebatch is the director of the Office of Education, and uh, she works with her team directly with the 17 superintendents, 17 school districts that uh, crisscross the city of Houston. She works directly with our uh, colleges and universities and community colleges. And HISD happens to be the largest school district in the state. 
And of course, it bears Houston's name. Yes. So even though the city of Houston doesn't run uh, the Houston Independent School District, when somebody bears your name, uh, many people then they believe that the mayor and, uh, is running the school system. And but that's but that's not the case. Mm -hmm. But what I have said is that I'm not seeking to be anybody's superintendent, but we stand ready to partner with any entity, with persons who want to advance quality education for all of our kids in the city of Houston. I stand ready to work with them, to partner with them, to assist in bringing resources uh, to bear, uh, to be a, a, a meaningful partner. What I've said to the state is that uh, you have to be very <coughs> careful on how you proceed. Because if you step in and take control of it, then you own it. Mm -hmm. And then people are expecting you to produce and have greater results yes. than those who were there before you stepped before you step in. So my advice is the same advice that Colin Powell gave to President Bush when they were looking at invading Iraq. If you step in, then you own it and it's yours and the responsibility of you is yours. So I put forth just a cautionary note. Uh, board of managers. OK, fine. But the board of managers have to reflect the diversity of the people within the school district. They have to be sensitive to the communities from which these kids come. Their primary focus has to be the interest of 215,000 kids, okay? And you can't come in thinking you know what's best without having a connection to the communities and to these parents from which these kids come. That's a tall order, Yes. okay? And you have to be very careful how long you're going to stay. So when you come in, even before you come in, you have to know what your objectives are, what you're seeking to achieve, and then people have to understand what your exit strategy. You know, when will you leave and under what conditions will you leave? Yes. So uh, um, I am willing to support anyone, uh, any entity that comes in with good intentions and is interested in educating every child in the city of Houston. And we have a very diverse community, yes. okay? And so, so it doesn't matter where these kids come from, it doesn't matter their language, okay? It doesn't matter their social economic status. If these board of managers or whomever they may be, if they are interested in educating every single kid, okay? And they're willing to bring the resources and if they're sensitive to the communities and if they recognize diversity as an asset and not a liability, then I'm prepared to partner with you. And then we have to be very sensitive and mindful of the teachers because uh, Teachers, parents, the kids, all of them are critical stakeholders. And you, ha you cannot <laughs> govern without taking them in mind. So I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat in a wait and see position right now because I know how important education is. I come out of a family where neither one of my parents graduated from high school. My mom was a maid and reared nine kids by herself. And I know we've given uh, the proper education to these kids. They can grow up and become the mayor of the fourth largest city in the United States. Uh, so um, uh, I'm all, I look forward to working with the Hispanic Chamber and with others, uh, with these teachers, even with the state. The only thing that I would say is that uh, make sure you're coming in for the right reasons, identify what the criteria objectives are, and then please explain to people what your exit strategy will be. Because eventually you want to return um, the school back to an elected a body where people come from the city and come from the very communities. And you can't bring people in from outside of HISD 
to run HISD. So we definitely want them to grow up and believe they can be mayor. Yes. We also want them to grow up and be very invested in the community in yes. which they live. Yes. We have a severe voter turnout problem. Um, still, but between 18 and 45, we, ha we can't get people out to vote. Do you have any ideas on how we can get people more engaged or anything that there's anything that the two of us can do or every, we all can do to yeah. engage well, you, people? You, 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 you have to go to where they are and you have to speak to the things that are important to, to them. Um, and you have to invite them to, particip to, particip to, to participate. Um, what is it, How, what do they say? Uh, uh, tu voice es tu voto. Mm -hmm. uh, your, your, your vote is your voice. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, 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 I think it is important to be in every community, in every neighborhood, and let, peop and let people know uh, that that they have the power and they have to exercise their, their power. And it's not a one and done. You have to constantly, constantly mm -hmm. uh, talk uh, to, uh, to people in these respective communities, uh, especially we gotta reach out to our millennials, you know, um, yes. and empower them and speak to them. Um, and one of the things that I've tried to do as mayor is bring millennials and that diversity into the power of decision making. Because it's important for people to see people around the, the table of decision making that's reflective of who they are, okay? That's why, for example, I'm hoping when people see Chief Acevedo as head of the police department, <coughs> or Chief Sam Pena as head of the fire department, or Julius Tepech as head of the Office of Education, they recognize that that didn't happen just on its own that elections matter, okay? It doesn't just happen because you want it to happen, but when you are exercising your right to vote, then you can elect people that look like you or elect people who may not look like you, but their DNA is good, okay? And that, and that happens by voting. Elections count, elections matter. Who you put there matter. When people were talking about mass deportation, who's, who's Who's representing you in these positions matter? Are they standing up for you? Even when it's not election time, but are you doing it for the right reason? When we talk about DACA kids, you know, are people out in the trenches? Are they raising their voices? Not at election time, but when it matters to people at their lives at that point in time. That's what matters. So elections matter. When, when we're talking about rebuilding communities, but doing it in such a way where you're maintaining the history and the culture, mm -hmm. okay? Those things are ma matter. And that's in large part is determined by who's the mayor of the city of Houston or who's the city council person. We talk about education, who's your, who's your board of trustee? All of those things matter. And so the message that we have to convey to people in our respective communities that positive things can occur when you exercise your right to vote. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, negative things can occur <laughs> when you don't exercise your right to vote. So you vote because it's in your best interest. And lastly, what I say to people all the time, if you just see Sylvester Turner's name on the ballot, but you don't see yourself on the ballot, then you're not gonna be as motivated to come and vote for Sylvester Turner. But in Sylvester Turner, you have to see your family member, your friend, your street, your community, your interest. 
And if you see that, then you'll come and vote for Sylvester Turner because you believe that Sylvester Turner is in your best interest. But I, as a person, as a candidate, I have to be able to convey that. And then when you do vote for me, and I'm the, let's say the mayor, the El Cade right now, that you have to believe is that my very presence made a difference. And if you believe that, then all is good. Yeah. Well, and on that note, let's assume you get reelected. Yes. You've got four more years. Yeah, Tell excited. me two things that you would say, you know what? I really want to get these two things done. <clears throat> what would those be? Well, one is that I want, to, I want to see a city that's stronger, resilient, and more sustainable. The storms are going to keep coming, okay? But we have to build a city that is uh, where we can mitigate the risk of flooding, okay? So that's, that's, that's critical, okay? The other thing is, is my initiative that I call Complete Communities. There are too many communities and neighborhoods in our cities that have been underserved and under-resourced. Okay? I don't want to see a city, uh, two cities in one of have and have not. I want to see a city that regardless of where you live, you see neighborhoods of promise and opportunity and hope. Okay? Where the diversity exists throughout our city. But diversity doesn't mean that when you go to a neighborhood that it's less than any other neighborhood. It simply means it's diverse, it's culturally rich, but it's a neighborhood of promise and opportunity. So regardless of who you are, where you live, what your language may be or your faith, if you are living in our city, then you can succeed and you can do well and you can be this entrepreneur mm -hmm. or the mayor or the principal or the teacher. So I don't want two cities in one. I want one city that's highly diverse, but a city that inspires. And a city that welcomes people from all over. But this is your city and we embrace you and we uplift you. Those are those are two things. A city that can withstand flooding. Yes. OK. And at the same time, a city that's culturally rich and diverse. But at the same time, it doesn't matter where you live. You can do well and will do well and are expected to do well. And whereas a government. We work with you, not against you. Yeah. And as I've said repeatedly in the city of Houston, we don't build walls, we build relationships. Well, and speaking of which, one issue that is just so important across the country, we recently heard Governor Abbott talking about Austin and yes. the homelessness problems there and some particular things that they're piloting to see if they can make a change in it. We heard on NPR report that Houston's uh, homelessness has gone down recently, but yet there's still people out there. They don't want to go to the shelters. They don't no. want to go to rehabs. There's all kinds of mental health issues. Mm -hmm. That seems like such an overwhelming issue. How will you tackle it this next round? It's a tough issue. If there's one person on our street, it's one person too many. And I will tell you, since 20, 2011, since 2012, mm -hmm. uh, the city's homeless population has been reduced by 54%. We have housed about 17,000 individuals since 2012, I give a, a lot of credit to former Mayor Anise Parker, started the initiative. Uh, even under my administration, since I came in four years ago, of that 17,000, we've housed about 6,500 to 7,000. To 7, the key to homelessness is housing, but not just putting a roof over people's head, because many of the people who are on our street, and right now we have about 3,900, okay, uh, they, they are experiencing mental behavioral health issues, uh, substance abuse issues. So it's not just about providing a roof. 
you have to provide the wraparound supportive housing mm -hmm. services. And what we know is that 90% of individuals who, are, who get the wraparound services, the supportive housing, years later, they are still housed. They are not on the streets of the city of Houston. Mm -hmm. And you address it one person at a time. Now, the 3,900 that are homeless on our streets, um, about, I would say, about 11 to 1,200 of them are the, are the ones that are literally on the streets, okay? Not in the shelters, but literally on the streets. They are the most difficult ones. And we have about six, what I call encampments, that are around the city of Houston in their tents, things of that nature. Uh, and you address them, again, one person at a time, okay? Now, Houstonians are very generous. We want to help. And what I say to Houstonians, be very, very careful. Because um, if you're bringing mattresses and uh, uh, sofas and chairs, you mean well, but it makes it very, very difficult for us to transition people from the street to a home. And then what ends up happening when it rains, the elements are bad. Yes. It, it, it leads to contamination. Mm -hmm. yes. And it really, it, it impacts even those who are homeless. Right. So on a regular systematic basis, we go out there and we clean up the encampment. We notify, we send notices to those who are out there ahead of time, saying we're coming, we're gonna clean up. And we say, we're bringing our dumpsters. If you don't want certain things, we'll help you throw them away. If you want to uh, hold on to your items, because these are their items, you may not want them, but these are their possessions. We will say to them during our cleanup, we will store their items and we will house them and we'll give them a ticket and we'll hold on to them for 90 days. And then we tell them you have to move while we come in and clean up the area. It takes about six to eight hours. We bring in our hazmat teams. We clean up the contaminated soil, uh, spruce up the area. And, and then at the same time, we have our homeless coalition partners working with us and hot teams where we're saying, look, we can provide you with housing. Please take us up on the offer. 10, 15% of the time, they will take us up. The others, when we finish the cleanup, they will come right back into the area. Uh, but it is a, it is, I tell people all the time, it is a complicated issue. Yes. Because you just can't move people. Mm -hmm. You can't arrest them. The courts have made it very clear. You cannot criminalize people's status because they are homeless. So you can't do that. It's not about arresting. It's not about moving, taking them from one area, one community, and putting them someplace else. Because, you know, no one, no one wants, you know, in a sense. But I will say to you all the time, it is one thing for me to fix a pothole. I know how to put asphalt down and we can assess and address a pothole by the next business day. It is much more difficult uh, to address people who are walking or living on our streets that have potholes in their lives. Yes. These are human beings yes. and you have to treat them uh, with dignity and respect. And they are not dumb and they know whether or not you care or not. And so you have to exercise a great deal of care and patience, and you have to approach them sometimes four or five, six, seven times before you can win their confidence to transition them to a better place. Yes. Now, in Houston, you know, people are saying, May Allison, we're seeing these encampments. Well, let me just let me let me let me just let me just say 
that for many of these individuals, uh, they have been homeless. They've been there for a long time. But as the city of Houston develops, yes. densifies, where they have been, they're now forced out. Further out, <coughs> right. More into the open. But it's not like they haven't been there. But as more development occurs within the city of Houston and the city of Houston densifies, then the trees, the brush, where they used to be, they are forced out more into the open. So now they're under the underpasses, mm -hmm. the bridges, more out into various communities. But uh, if you look at L.A., L.A.'s homeless population, 35, 37,000. Mm -hmm. San Diego, Seattle, New York has well over 50,000. Dallas has more homeless uh, than, we, than we have. Denver. Denver. Okay, so, but it's, it's, it's one of those situations, it's gonna take all of us working collaboratively. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that the, the, the federal resources dealing with the wraparound services for the homeless population, the federal resources, those numbers have been going down. Yeah. And so it's it, it, it is causing for more dollars, more resources to come from the local level. Yes in order to provide the wraparound services yes. to address the homeless population. But uh, we're dealing with it in a very intentional way. There are 100 homeless coalition partners in the city of Houston, all under the umbrella of the, of the way home. Uh, and we will not stop until we reduce uh, that homeless population. Um, hopefully, you know, down to, down to zero. That's, what, that's the ultimate goal. But you certainly want to be very intentional um, on it, and it's but it's gonna it's gonna yeah. it's gonna take some time. Before I, uh, Sarah closes out with some uh, questions she has, I'll just have one more for you. Sure. And that's the uh, elephant in the room. What's that? Firefighters. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of misinformation. How will that be resolved? What's your thought on that? Well, you know, it's uh, uh, we, firefighters do an exceptional job. Let me be very clear on that. Mm -hmm. I have 21,000. City of Houston has 21,000 employees. Uh, firefighters do an exceptional job, police, our municipal workers. Um, and the way we've worked out the um, labor agreements, employment agreements, we sit down at the table and we work them out. Municipal workers come to the table, we negotiate an agreement and we've been successful at that. Mm -hmm. Police, they come to the table and police are hard negotiators, hard negotiators, fuss and fight, but at the end of the day, they never leave a, a dollar on the table, okay? but we work it out, negotiate it. The same thing, the same sort of dynamics needed, for example, with fire. They do an exceptional job. Um, I believe in collective bargaining. I supported collective bargaining for the Houston police in 2005 in the legislature, advocated for it and voted for it. Still believe in collective <coughs> bargaining. Yes. And that's coming to the table and negotiating on an agreement. And they are deserving of a pay raise that the city can afford. Just like I would say police are deserving of a pay raise that the city can't afford. Municipal workers are deserving of a pay raise that the city can't afford. Uh, and so it's my hope that people will return to the bargaining table and recognize that it's a give and take process. Yes. But it has to be one that the taxpayers, yes. that the taxpayers can afford. Uh, we are fortunate to have a police a fire chief like Chief Sam Pena, uh, who is very committed to uh, to the fire department and to all 4,000 firefighters and very committed to the city of Houston. I trust his leadership and I simply hope that people will be willing to, to work it out. Uh, but it can't be a win-lose. It has to be a win-win. Yes. So I'm, opti I'm optimistic. Good. 
and and uh, we'll we'll see how that un how it unfolds. Well, I know we're all very hopeful, and uh, we understand the importance of this election, and so we're going to remind everyone to please get out there, make sure you vote. And again, that is December 14th. Uh, we can't encourage you enough. Learn more about the candidates. We have gone out of our way to make sure that we yes. provide this information to you all. It's up to you to make your decision. Mayor, oh, I know oh, that wait, we have Sarah's going yeah, no, to come back in. to these questions. <laughs> these are important because the, we are radio, right? So we've asked very serious questions. But our listeners really want to know who you are as a human being. Yeah. Okay. Right? So this is the fun part. So th yeah, okay. these are easy. So this is okay. just right off the cuff. What, right. Your first reaction. Okay, okay, ready? I'm ready. All right. Your chief characteristic. Patient. Your favorite qualities in friends. Trustworthiness. Your biggest flaw. Mm. Well, you know, it's going to contradict in many ways what I said the first. Patient, but I like results sooner rather than later. Your idea of happiness. Oh. Mm, contentment. Your favorite hero of fiction? Of fiction? <laughs> Hercules. <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite heroes in real life? Um, my favorite heroes in real life. To really, on a personal note, that will always be my mom and dad. What is your present state of mind? I'm very much at peace with where things are. And your favorite motto? And that's the one that my mom instilled in all nine of her kids. Tomorrow will always be better than today. Very nice. On that note, thank yes. you very much. Thank, thank you, you for being with us today, and we look forward to seeing you all at chamber events and listening to Intercom Radio. Our thanks to Mayor Sylvester Turner. Sarah, thank and you. get out okay. to the polls yes. and vote. And Voting you know, is open now. And you know, Dr. Maria, you and Sarah can't tell you who to vote for, but if they could, they would tell you to vote for <laughs> Sylvester Turner. <laughs> Have a great day. Thanks a lot for watching.